Hello. Hi. Welcome back to the closet to the next episode of the Brio in the Box podcast. Mm-hmm. I think we have to start by giving a, a shout out to all of our aloha and well wishes and love and support going to our friends in Lahaina. Yep. I'm sure everyone knows by now recently suffered absolutely devastating wildfires. Over 80% of the town is destroyed. Over a thousand people have most likely lost their life in a tragedy that just unfolded so quickly, so fast, so devastating, so quickly. Mm-hmm. Maui's a special place yep. for we, both of us. We got married there. We got, you know, so many memories. We go there every year. We're very lucky. Yeah. I've been going there with my family since I was a little kid. Every year I've lost track of the number of times I've been lucky enough to yeah. fly in on an airplane on that little slice of heaven. And we when, we, my- when we first started dating, like maybe seven months into our relationship, you were like, do you want to go to Maui for Christmas? And I was like, absolutely. So every year (laughs) that I've known you, we've gone to Maui for Christmas together. Peace out family. Yeah. Yeah. So Lahaina CrossFit specifically has been a very special place for us since 2010. Yep. I was looking back through some photos. I had baby Atlas there at the original. It was an old, I think welding shop, maybe a little 800 square foot space. Yeah. It's since been through new owners. It's really where we spend like the majority of every day yeah. at Lahaina CrossFit when we're there. It's our fitness home away from home. We, fitness we home. go there every day. Yeah. yeah. So we've experienced the aloha in that place. And I would say, honestly, almost 100% of the cool people that we've been lucky enough to know on the island, we know through yeah. CrossFit and through Lahaina CrossFit specifically. So yeah. yeah, really been thinking about those guys lots and very relieved as we heard about each of the people that we hold close to our heart that was safe. Mm-hmm. Um, my family has a home about five minutes away from where the fires made it to on the west side, lucky enough that it did not touch their place. But many of our friends were not so lucky and lost their homes. Yep. We're lucky that all of the people we know so far are safe and accounted for, but many people obviously are not. So yeah. Sunday the 20th, we'll be doing the Imua Memorial Workout that Lahaina CrossFit programmed. We'll be doing it in our 10 a.m. class. Um, for many of the people in our community that have been lucky enough to experience Maui and been to Lahaina and even had the welcoming spirit of being in Lahaina CrossFit specifically, mm-hmm. you can, on Fully Amped, you can purchase Lahaina CrossFit shirts, sweaters, tank tops. You can wrap the Lahaina CrossFit gear. We're trying to figure out ways to send donation directly to people there. They've been using Venmo, but that's not available from Canada and funds have been getting frozen and they've been having problems with Venmo. So we're trying to figure out a way that works to get donations and supported money directly in the hands of the people that need it right now. Mm-hmm. More to come on that. Yep. So today's topic that we thought we would discuss is the carnivore diet. The carnivore diet. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a few people that have been asking about it recently. I think it's, you know, the end of the summer and a lot of people are feeling the remorse of a summer of debauchery (laughs) and like, okay, I want to try something. I want to mix it up and get back into a healthy routine. And carnivore diet is definitely like a, a thing right now that a lot of people are talking about. Yeah. So people have heard about it through Joe Rogan, Mm -hmm. the proponent of carnivore Maybe you follow some of the famous influencer type people. There's Dr. Paul Saladino, there's Dr. Sean Baker, and a variety of others that are a big proponent of the carnivore diet. There's a couple books, some recipe books, that kind of thing. Paul Saladino wrote The Carnivore Code. Yep. Sean Baker has one called, I think it's just called The Carnivore Diet. So yeah, we thought we would take a little bit of time to talk about what it is, who it's for, how to do it right, how to do it wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yep. So What's the gist of it? What's the gist of a carnivore diet? Just as the name sounds, you're basically only eating meat products, Mm -hmm. right? So 
the emphasis is supposed to be on mainly red meat mm-hmm. because those are the most nutrient dense ones. But kind of, there's lots of different ways of doing it, right? But the, mm-hmm. the basic foundation is eat like a carnivore, only eat meat products. Yeah, so it's an animal-based diet, yep. which is in sharp contrast to the mainstream push for a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. So some of the proponents are quite aggressive in terms of matching the aggressiveness of, of the people on the plant-based side yeah. <laughs> of going, no, 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 this is the proper way to eat. Yeah, There are a variety of ways to do a carnivore diet. So it's yeah. animal-based. There are people that do it very strict as like red meat, salt, and water. Mm-hmm. Michaela Peterson, I think would be the one that's the biggest proponent of that. She refers to it as the lion diet, right? red meat, salt, water. Other people will expand to include seafood, dairy, eggs, eggs, maybe chicken and pork, like all animal products. Yep. Cheese. Does some of them do cheese? Yeah. Like dairy. Some yep. will include dairy. And then there's now a little, like a branched off version. And this mm-hmm. is where Paul Saladino went, which he still calls himself the carnivore MD, but eats fruit and honey. Yeah. So I guess that would be closer to uh, the bear diet. Let's call that the bear diet. <laughs> yeah, the hunter gatherer sort of <laughs> idea that, dang, if you found honey, you would probably eat it. So yeah. There's a variety of different ways to consider what would be animal based in the same way that some people will say plant based and they don't mean strict vegan. Mm-hmm. Some people will say animal based or carnivore and they don't literally mean 100% like only animal products. There might be a little bit of wiggle room in there. Yeah. It's basically the ultimate elimination diet, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have any sort of gut issues or you have a lot of inflammatory problems, it's a really good way of just eliminating everything except the essentials mm-hmm. and seeing how you feel and then starting to reincorporate things to test them out one by one and see what might be causing your problems. Mm-hmm. So anybody with any kind of gut microbiome issues, IBS, super like arthritis. What is Michaela Peterson's thing that she... She has a... I think it's rheumatoid arthritis. It's a type of arthritis, yeah. yeah. And for her, it's like she went through the whole process of just meat and then started to try some other things and basically like nothing else works. And so now she just eats meat. Mm -hmm. So I think people will view it as it's a fad diet. Oh, it's Mm -hmm. this new fad thing, this carnivore diet, it's a fad. And for some reason, people love to throw that as an insult at something that it's just a fad. Yeah. But I think if we look back through human history and what we know from archaeology and anthropology and all kinds of things, there's a, a great paper led by Mickey Bendor's research group It basically showed that humans or our genetic ancestors in the homo line were apex carnivores, apex predators for about 2.5 million years. Yeah. (laughs) So if there's one thing that humans figured out that we're exceptionally, exceptionally good at is cooperating in groups and therefore being able to kill at a distance. Yeah. So we're not particularly big or strong or fierce or, you know, no major like teeth and claws and scary things like other predators have. What we have is these big brains that cooperate well with other people. And we figured out how to use tools and weapons. So that made us the top of the food chain. We got really, really, really good at hunting large game animals and killing from a distance. Right. So pretty much everywhere that humans spread over the earth, within a few thousand years, all the large game fauna goes extinct (laughs) because we're so good at it. Yeah. So, you know, what happens with the mammoths and then the you know, bison, and then we get to the Australian Aborigines and all the large game fauna goes extinct wherever Mm -hmm. the humans go. Uh, You know, you kill a mammoth, that's enough food to feed an entire tribe of people for quite a long time. And the best thing about meat is it's readily available year round. 
Yeah. It's not a seasonal thing. So you don't have to like wait for it to grow. It's if you can find an animal and kill it, you've got food. Mm -hmm. So you were saying eating a carnivore diet is basically like winter. Yeah. When there's not supposed to be vegetation available, Mm -hmm. you can always count on meat. Yeah. So as humans were able to migrate out of Africa and more temperate climates and into colder climates with seasonal variation or even all the way up north into the Arctic, we got really good at hunting and eating meat which was able to sustain us year round. And that's why human beings are basically everywhere mm-hmm. on every corner of the earth. So yeah, as much as people go, oh, it's a fad diet. I think if we all just calm down and take a step back and look at it, a carnivore diet is just winter. Yeah. So if we lived in Saskatchewan year round, closer to nature, and you went outside in January, what are you going to eat out there? Mm-hmm. There's not a single like living plant that, that isn't poisonous or toxic that you could actually eat because Turns out we can't live on wood. Yeah. You would kill something. It would be a deer. Maybe you get a, like a moose or an elk or you go further up north and you get reindeer and caribou. It's all going to be large ruminant animals. Yeah. Basically. Now with that in mind, one thing I think that's a pitfall of the carnivore diet is that when we were hunting large game animals, we were not just selectively eating the lean muscle tissue. Mm -hmm. That's definitely the biggest mistake people make is they're used to eating chicken breasts and stuff like that Mm -hmm. or like sirloin steaks or whatever and the protein is great you need that but you need some source of energy you know Mm -hmm. you can't really use protein for energy effectively so you need either fat or carbs and if you're cutting out all of your carbs by not eating any fruits or vegetables or anything else you have to have an energy source Mm -hmm. so you have to make that mental switch that now i'm going to start eating animal fats Mm -hmm. so a lot of the steaks that people that eat nothing but steak eat it's not you know, sirloins, it's like ribeye. It's mm-hmm. like the fattiest, you know, yeah, thickest parts. Lots of people, you know, great on a budget. If you do lots of ground beef, you need to pick the 80% mm-hmm. lean, 20% fat stuff to try to get a decent ratio of fat. Some people will add beef tallow or yeah. butter to it to try to get enough energy calories. What makes humans different than other obligate carnivores, like a cat or a dog or a wolf, we're actually not great at turning protein into energy, yeah. into glucose. Yes, you need some glucose to live. I'm well aware of that. What people are generally unaware of is that you do not need to eat glucose to live. Mm. There's a few, about 30% of the energy needs of your brain has to be met with glucose and your red blood cells. Basically, those are the two big ones. Everything else can use fatty acids for energy because you have mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. (laughs) But we're not great at converting protein into glucose via gluconeogenesis. Other animals do that much better, cats and dogs and stuff. Because humans are not so much carnivores as we are lipovores. What allowed humans to separate ourselves in the evolutionary branch here into this like apex predator was that we got really good at finding and extracting fat. Right. So they call them the inside bone nutrients. So when we killed that big animal and because we were bipedal, freed the use of our hands, developed opposable thumbs, therefore could use tools, Some of the earliest tools we have are percussive instruments meant for smashing open bones to get at the brains and the bone marrow. Right. Humans prized the fatty organs, kidney fat, masuet, and liver as Mm -hmm. the most nutritious things. Even things like eyeballs, intestines, things that now we consider absolutely gross and (laughs) nauseating to think about eating. Humans, early versions of humans knew that that's where the most nutritious stuff was. One of my favorite stories about that is that there's a, a pretty strong hypothesis that the co-evolution of humans and dogs happened because humans would generally discard the lean muscle tissue. We didn't want that stuff. We wanted the organs and the brains and the marrow and the eyeballs. 
they would discard the muscle and then wolves figured out like, Hey, I'm an obligate carnivore. Yep. <laughs> I should probably start following these naked apes around. They seem to be giving away a lot of meat. <laughs> I'm going to trade my cuteness for meat. <laughs> exactly. So they basically self-domesticated and learned to be cute and helpful and yeah. cuddly and man's best friend. Yeah. And we gave them steak mm-hmm. in exchange. So about 30 or 40,000 years ago, the co-evolution of humans and dogs began. And it's probably because we were discarding the stuff that we now pay a lot of money for in yeah. the grocery store. And we were favoring the stuff that now most people would gag. At the yeah. To eat. And okay, so like, let's bring it to modern times. It's not that if you're going to do carnivore, you have to eat kidneys and brains and no. eyeballs and stuff like that. You can absolutely do it with just fatty cuts of meat. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do. Sure. John Baker's six years or so now yeah. of, and he swears all he eats is ribeye steaks. Mm-hmm. But, he doesn't eat any organs. He's, yeah. You don't have to eat organs. But then there's guys like Paul Saladino who swear by organs and he makes sure he's eating at least an ounce a day or whatever of liver and kidney and pancreas. Yeah, and all, all the kinds things. of stuff, yeah. So like for us, even if we're not doing carnivore, we still eat liver. I eat, I try to eat half an ounce to an ounce of liver every day. Mm-hmm. We just freeze it and cut it up and I just swallow it like pills and it's super gross at first, but you get used to it and then it's fine. Yeah. If you want to cut it up and mix it in with your ground beef, that's a really easy way to hide it. Mm-hmm. There's lots of ways to get it in. You can do the desiccated stuff if you really want to. It's just way more expensive. Mm-hmm. But I think there is some value to having at least some liver in your diet because it's just so full of vitamins. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, a ruminant animal is the only single food source on earth that you can meet 100% of your nutrition requirements from from that one thing alone. There's nothing else. Even vitamin C. Because people go, what about vitamin C? There is actually an adequate amount of vitamin C to prevent scurvy in fresh muscle meat and organs. There's vitamin C in liver. In some places that were like having to be carnivore year round, like in northern communities and hunting caribou and stuff, what they would do that I'm sure absolutely no one right now would even consider is they would eat the partially digested fermented grasses from the insides of the intestines of the animals that they that they hunted. And it's so interesting to me how not innate taste preferences are. Mm -hmm. They're really acquired and conditioned. Yeah. Things that I'm sure I would vomit if I had to even smell that, let alone put it in my mouth and swallow it, right? Like I'm sure that would just, it's such a visceral reaction to something like that. And yet other cultures, they just consider it a delicacy and they would look at you with like shocked Mm -hmm. horror if you tried to throw it out, you know? There was the thing going around on the internet, the fermented fish from Iceland that's like a delicacy there. Mm -hmm. They love it. And when people from here open the can, they instantly start gagging and wanting to throw up because the smell is so bad. Yeah. I remember watching a guy trying to just put a piece in his mouth and he couldn't. He just like literally couldn't get a piece into his mouth because he was just gagging so hard. Yeah. So yes, by no means we were saying you need to open up a carcass <laughs> and eat what it was eating. That is definitely, <laughs> we're, we're past that for sure. Yeah. Fermented whale blubber is a big yeah. thing in northern communities. They'll bury it in the ground and dig it up a year later. Yeah, why not? I think fermentation is an underappreciated way of preserving food ever since the invention of refrigeration. Mm-hmm. But we mostly ate fermented and salted things yeah. prior to when refrigerators invented, like the 50s yep. maybe. But any other way that you wanted to preserve something was like canning or fermenting. Those yeah. were basically your only options if you wanted to be able to hold on to something. Yeah. And that was the thing back before we had refrigerators. You know, if it was cold out, your meat would last. But then you're also, if you've killed an animal, you have to like either bring it with you or you have to stand there and protect it from other mm-hmm. you know, scavengers. Scavengers. So they really only had so much time to eat what they were hunting. Mm-hmm. 
which is why I'm sure they were happy to pass on the lean meat to just focus on the super nutrient dense stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what it was all about. Make friends with the scavengers. Yeah. The wolves that became the pet vulture as well. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. So I think we have to have that perspective. A, it's not a fad diet. It's probably one of the most closest these days to a natural way of eating. And at the very least seasonally. So if we're going to consider above a certain level that there's going to be seasonal variations, things like fruit, where we are not available other than berries. We They're don't get supposed to be available. Well, well this are. is what I mean in nature, <laughs> in our climate, there's no mangoes yeah. here, you know? And I even, I posted a picture of some berries that we saw. I thought maybe they were choke cherries. And I posted, I was like, what is this? And can I eat it? And I think it was Jenny was like, yeah, that looks like a choke cherry. And she's like, I don't know if you'd want to eat it though. And I did eat one and I was like, Oh, it's so bitter and yeah. so gross. Totally. The blueberries, we were just up at Jan Lake with Ryan and Jasmine. They're up right now. They're tiny. They're very tart. They're not very sweet. They are great. I love them with some fresh whipped cream, but they're only available for like two weeks of the year. Yeah. Not very long. And even if we figured out how to grow or maybe harvest or just find some tubers and starchy things and squashes and stuff, most of the fruits and vegetables we see in the grocery store don't exist in nature. None of those things are real foods they those are totally in the same way that a pug is not a real animal <laughs> that's a you know a genetically modified selectively bred thing that doesn't exist in nature yeah right? so i don't there's no like real human requirement for fruits and vegetables certainly i think you should enjoy them seasonally where you yeah. find them and local and fresh and whole and from nearby yeah but yeah i think i think the carnivore is it's an interesting thing to try, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's the type of thing that most people should do all the time. You mm-hmm. know, like if you're if you're benefiting from it and you love it and it's working for you, that's great. Yeah. I know Rogan will do it for one month mm-hmm. every year and that's it. And it's just a reset, you know, it's just a reset and he feels great when he's on it, but he knows that it's like too too much elimination. He wa- he still wants to enjoy some other things as well. Mm-hmm. And I felt the same way about when I was trying it. You know, I just, I already eat pretty well most of the time. And I just felt like it was too much. You know, I like to have some variety mm-hmm. in my food. I love steak. And I was super nervous that if I continued to eat nothing but steak, I would eventually get sick of it and I wouldn't enjoy it anymore. And I just, I don't want to do a, a, you know, a plan that I don't enjoy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who should do it? I think everyone should do it at least once for a, month, for a, a week, month or two, a week, yeah. a, a month, two months, like a short amount of time just to, yeah. you know, experiment, experience what it's like to feel like a human being. Yeah. Cause here's what I think. A lot of people have accepted for themselves things that shouldn't be considered normal. Mm-hmm. I think we need to get back to the normal state of a human being is having a body that just works. Yeah. You know, like we're, we're supposed to be able to, chew our food, digest things properly, sleep soundly at night, sprint when we want to, lift heavy things when we want to, have babies when we want to, poop in the morning. You know, like yeah. all these things are just supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And people have accepted a variety of small ailments. Oh, I get heartburn. Oh, I have headaches. Or, oh, I, I wake up all the time in the night. Yeah. Oh, my digestion's always really bloated. Or, you know, oh, my period's really irregular. Like all these things that are not overtly a disease, mm-hmm. but you don't have to accept that those things are just going to happen or they have to happen. Yeah. And I think doing a carnivore diet for a month or two is the first time that people are like, Oh, this is what it feels like to be myself and to be like a fully functional human. I'm not supposed to have joints that ache in the morning and I'm not supposed to be constipated for three or four days at a time and things like that. So I think just for the experiment alone, I think everyone should do it at least once. Yep. 
I did it a while back, super strict carnivore for, I think it was like seven weeks. I had a bunch of blood work done. I have a video on my YouTube channel on the keto athlete about how it all went. Mm-hmm. You know, I love tracking nerdy stuff. Yep. HRV data, my sleep data, body weight, so all my blood work. I posted all kinds of things. I would say that's probably the best I've ever felt. Yeah. I dropped a bit of weight when I wasn't intending to, to drop weight. So I was leaner, which yeah. is fine. Performance stayed the same. Sleep improved. Just generally like mood, energy, all those things just felt great. Digestion feels great. That's what people always want to know. What about the poops? Yeah. So like, you don't need any fiber. You're not going to poop for eight years. Like, that's <laughs> not how digestion works. Yeah. Like, I don't know where that myth came from that you need fiber to poop. All the research actually shows the opposite. If you struggle with constipation, there's a study I've cited multiple times, a randomized control trial, different intakes of fiber. The most effective treatment is zero. Yeah. It's, it provides the greatest relief across the board for all the patients struggling with constipation is zero fiber, right? Fiber. The research will show that more fiber increases the volume of poop, (laughs) but it doesn't do anything beyond that. So I don't know that anyone's goal is to just have bigger poops. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe. I don't know. There's all kinds of crazy world records out there. Fiber will do that, but it will not make it happen more frequently or easier or anything else, but it will make it have more volume. Yeah. I know it's an awkward topic to talk about, but honestly, I feel like digestion is a very key indicator of like overall health and wellness and function. So it maybe should be something we talk about with less awkwardness to it. Yeah. I don't think I've done it long enough to get the full benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, I kind of got into it and I was like, I just want to eat like an avocado or something, you know, like I just started missing some of the foods that I would consider to be healthy and Again, it was just too, too strict for me, but yeah. I think I do want to give it another shot to maybe try at least like four weeks or so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for me, I don't have a lot of chronic stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't have any kind of arthritis or anything. I, I don't have any digestive issues. When we travel, I tend to get heartburn, mm-hmm. but that's also because when we travel, I'm way more likely to eat shitty food. Yeah. And so if I'm eating well and I'm back at home, I don't ever get heartburn. Mm-hmm. But I do have some, you know creaky knees and some like low back issues and stuff occasionally that act up and I would I would like to see if it would make an improvement on that mm-hmm. but I know that you have to give it some time right you can't just do it for a few days and be like no it's not working yeah you know and honestly if you're on a fairly high carb high sugar high grain yeah. high processed food diet you're gonna feel like a heroin addict kicking oh, the yeah. habit you're gonna be jonesing for the shit for a while so yeah. don't expect to feel great immediately mm-hmm. i would say minimum a month give it maybe two months like a solid amount of time yeah. to notice a difference and there's kind of different ways of incorporating it right like if you're just a full-on junk food person and you just go cold turkey it's gonna work faster but it's gonna be really hard mm-hmm. you're gonna want to you're gonna want to stop immediately but you'll start to notice improvement quicker if you want to taper off and just start to eat a little bit more red meat and slowly titrate down how much junk you're eating, mm-hmm. then that works as well. It's just a much longer process because you can't just eat more red meat and still eat lots of like greens and whatever and expect mm-hmm. any kind of noticeable difference. Yeah. I would go like one meal at a time. And I usually yeah. have people start with breakfast. So if your breakfast is any kind of greens, bread, bagels, cereal, oats, like all that garbage... I would start by switching that meal out to a carnivore-based meal. Yeah. Like, uh, eggs and meat kind of thing. That's why eggs are a classic breakfast food. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Eggs and sausage, eggs and bacon. It's a little bit more processed meat, but hey, if that's a step in the right direction and it gets you to stop eating like vector cereal in the morning, 
That's always the one I pick on because people have this misguided. <laughs> it's healthy. <laughs> yeah. We just went over that with the kids in the kids camp. Flip that box over and look at the ingredients. Yeah. And it's starch, starch, five types of sugar, soy protein, and vegetable oil. You're like, None this is, is good. not food. <laughs> this is some kind of weird flaked human pet food stuff. Nothing yeah. that resembles actual food. So if you can just start there and make some swaps. Vector was an absolute marketing win because they convinced everybody that that was a full on health food. And yeah. it is not, there's nothing necessary or good in that cereal no. whatsoever. Yeah. It's like a, a weird starch, sugar, soy flake mm-hmm. sprayed with synthetic vitamins. Yeah. <laughs> like, this seems like something from a dystopian future <laughs> that they would try to convince humans to eat. And they have yeah. success. Anyway, that's a rant. Okay. So carnivore definitely works. You can surf the internet and find thousands, maybe tens of thousands of anecdotes and testimonials of people that revolutionized their health mm-hmm. by going to an, an animal based diet, generally centered around a few things like weight loss, improved metabolic health, like getting rid of diabetes and hypertension and all the things that center around metabolic syndrome, autoimmune conditions, big time. So rheumatoid arthritis is a big one, thyroid issues, really anything that centers around immune dysfunction and then gut issues like you mentioned. So Crohn's, colitis, IBS, IBD, lots of digestive issues. So it's mainly in those three areas, metabolic, immune, and digestive. And why, like why, why would all of a sudden filling your colon with meat, which supposedly according to people is going to make you never poop again, why would that fix a digestive disorder? Or why, what effect would that have on your immune system? Or why would that change your metabolic health? So I think for a few reasons, if we make the number of foods that you eat very few, you're probably just going to eat less in general. Yeah. And if we make the foods that you're going to eat very satiating, very nutrient dense, red meat's one of the most nutritious foods on earth that you can eat along with, you know, eggs and butter and all the fish and seafood and stuff. The satiety level is very, very high. So you get enough protein and you get enough vitamins and minerals, and then you're just not that hungry. Right. So people that have Another thing that they've taken for granted is that you're just supposed to be hungry and feel like snacking all the time. That's not normal. Yeah. And if you just eat real food and you give your body what it's actually searching for all the time, all of a sudden you're just unburdened with this, these constant thoughts of food. And you're just like, I'm just like actually full for once. I'm actually not hungry. I'm actually satisfied. Of course, to lose weight, you have to eat less calories than you burn, but How? Well, you do that by eating enough protein and vitamins and minerals. And then you just don't want to overeat energy calories. You just naturally eat a normal amount of food. It also eliminates all the things that derange your metabolic health, all the plant-based stuff, sugars, refined carbohydrates and vegetable oils and seed oils that all come from plants. So you take out the three big ones, flour, sugar, vegetable oil, and right away you unburden your metabolism from not being able to work properly. So that's where we get the reversal of diabetes and hypertension and dyslipidemia and all those things that go along with just dumping processed food into your body. And then we eliminate most processed foods, right? So you're eating pretty much only whole, fresh, unprocessed meats. And that too eliminates all the things that dysregulate your gut, like the stabilizers and the emulsifiers, the soy lecithin and the carrageenan and the guar gum and artificial sweeteners. Artificial sweeteners are a big one and all the artificial flavors and stuff. You read these words on the back of the package. You're like, what even is this? Mm -hmm. Like none of it is food. Yeah. 
So it takes all that stuff out that's tremendously hard on your gut, your gut microbiome and the lining of your gut and those things start to heal and get better. And then in terms of autoimmune, it removes most of the triggers of autoimmune conditions, things that fool your immune system into thinking it needs to go into hyper, like overdrive. Excess accumulation of plant toxins. So lectins are things that are in like grains and beans. Things like oxalates are in foods like almonds and spinach and kale. They, those are the things that create calcium oxalate like kidney stones, but they also accumulate in the joints and can give you tremendous joint pain. So we get rid of all of the plant toxins that can be triggers or flare-ups or whatever, sensitivities for triggering autoimmune conditions. Gluten is a protein, is the protein in wheat. So if you eliminate grains, gluten-free foods, that often relieves things like obviously celiac, but also non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So just inadvertently by making our diet, we're going to eat these foods. We've eliminated everything else (laughs) that is making you fat, diabetic, in pain, in digestive discomfort. And then we get into the mental health benefits when all of a sudden your gut microbiome is reset, your brain is being adequately fueled with the nutrients it needs. It's not being deranged with glucose spikes constantly. So the other thing you'll see a ton of benefit for if the carnivore diet is mental health. People are like, I have finally alleviated this lifelong major depression or my anxiety is finally under control. I've never been able to do it. Yeah. So a lot of people will incorporate fruit because it doesn't have all of those things Mm -hmm. that you normally find in vegetation, right? Plants want you to eat their fruit because that's how you spread their seeds, right? Yeah. So there's no toxins in fruit for the most part. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of carnivore people will still incorporate them. Mm -hmm. And for anybody that's not trying to lose weight, you often have a hard time eating enough just Mm -hmm. from the meat. And so supplementing with a carbohydrate source, fruit and honey Mm -hmm. allows you to eat enough food that you're not going to lose weight and you're going to be able to even gain weight if you want to. But it's definitely if your goal is losing weight, you probably want to avoid the fruit and especially the honey as much as possible. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to like maintain or gain, get stronger, then maybe incorporate it more. Mm-hmm. But I think to start, your best bet is just try out the meat first mm-hmm. and then play around with it based yeah. on how you're feeling. It's And like you said, it's the ultimate elimination diet. So you take it down, maybe you go super like red meat, salt water for a while. And then you're like, oh, okay, what happens if I add eggs back? Some people have egg sensitivities. What happens if I add dairy back? Some people have dairy sensitivities. What about seafood? What about this? And you start to expand the horizons. Because I think as a general goal to just exist as a happy human being in the modern world, we're not trying to make things more restrictive. We're trying to find the most things we can eat, but also feel the best. Find that overlapping Venn diagram. The most enjoyable diet that makes you feel the best. For sure. So you're right that most... Fruits do not contain toxins in and of themselves, but the thing we do have to be careful for in the way we make food in the modern food supply is that a lot of them are contaminated with pesticides and herbicides, things like glyphosates, that can be not necessarily toxic to human cells, but very toxic to your gut microbiome. And so that's another reason when you eliminate all fruits and vegetables, you eliminate pretty much all sources of Roundup of glyphosate, of all the pesticides. So if you are going to incorporate fruits or whatever back... The Environmental Protection Agency publishes a dirty dozen and then a clean 15 (laughs) of which fruits and vegetables are worth purchasing organic and then which ones are generally cleaner. So almost anything 
like a strawberry that's just directly exposed and then you're going to eat it directly. You should try to buy organic things with a peel. So like a banana or an avocado are generally a little safer because you're not going to eat the outside part of it. But that's also, I think, another major reason why carnivore is so effective is because it cuts out a lot of the toxic shit that those foods should be fine on their own directly from nature. But the way that we produce them now is pretty gross. Grow your own. Grow your own, yeah, and then enjoy. That's another reason to go berry picking in the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> not sprayed with Roundup. Yeah, there. maybe a little bear pee, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so speaking of the bears, here's something that I think is interesting. The bears right now are rooting around and eating a lot of those berries. When you go berry picking up in the wilderness, you got to watch out for the bears. Yeah. Why do the bears want all the berries at this time of year? Because it fattens them up. Because it fattens them up. Yeah. It gets them fat for winter. That's what they're after is the fructose in those plants that causes their liver to make more fat that makes them fatten up so they can survive the winter. Yeah. So I think people need to understand that berries and those things that are seasonal, it's fine. Yeah. Acorns, you know, squashes, nuts, berries, seeds, that kind of stuff that's available in this smaller window from maybe August to like October. Those things are good and they're tasty and they're natural and that, you know, we have some capacity to deal with them, but what we're doing with them is turning them into fat. Right. And so if you've been eating fruit and therefore sugar and grains like seeds and grains and squashes and tubers and all those things, and you have been doing that all year round for maybe your whole life (laughs) and you have been fattening up for a winter that never comes, then that's where carnivore comes in really well is you just need to spend some time in winter. You just need to do some metabolic winter. But if you're pretty lean already and you haven't adequately fattened up for winter, then maybe you need to be a bit more cautious with carnivore because it's probably you know, seasonally, that's what happens. Yeah, You put on some pounds in the summer and fall so that you can burn them off through the winter. And that's just like the natural cycle yeah. of the seasons. But if you stay pretty lean year round, then that, like you said, you may need to incorporate some honey or fruit or those sorts of things just to keep your weight up. Yeah. I've always thought it, it's hilarious how we want the opposite of the way the natural cycle works. It's supposed to be that we're like fattening up through the summer and bulking and everything. And that's what people tend to do because people go on holidays and they go camping and they drink and they eat whatever. And we do naturally fatten up through the summer. And then in the winter, when we don't care if we're lean or not is when if you're eating only meat, because that's all that's available, it's when you would naturally be leaning out and everything. Yeah. Sweater bod. Dang it, my abs look so good, but it's January. (laughs) (laughs) But then most people have Christmas with all the baking. Oh, yeah. That's not really been a a part of nature for a long time. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? You're you're eating a ton through the summer to bulk up for times of famine in the winter. It's just those times of famine never happen anymore. (laughs) You know, we're constantly... Unless you choose them. Yes, we we have food readily available from all over the world at any moment in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. So... It's worth trying, you know, do it, maybe do it in the winter when fruit's not even that good anyways. And, yeah. you know, give it a shot and see, see what happens. Yeah. Just see what you would feel like. And here's the thing, even if it was like the craziest diet or it was somehow bad for you, it's like, you can do it for two months. You're not going to die. Yeah. Nothing bad is going to happen. You're just going to eat slightly different for yeah. a few months and that's it. Yeah. Okay. So we're kind of already branching into what are some of the pitfalls. So I think potentially if you're fairly lean to start, you could potentially lose weight, (laughs) which is a hilarious thing to list in the cons category. This diet is so effective at losing weight. Be careful. You might lose a lot of weight. Yeah. You might lose more weight than you wanted to. Yeah. I mean, Uh, if you're a 165 pound guy and you're like, I want to be 180, this is probably not your best bet. It would be very difficult to bulk on a diet like this. Let's put it that way. If you have 
a good amount of leanness and muscle mass, I think it's possible to do carnivore and maintain. But I think if you are aggressively trying to bulk, this is not the bulking diet. That's fine. It's fine to say that. I think another pitfall is people doing too much protein, not enough fat. Yeah. I think that's touched on. really hard to, to wrap your head around mentally. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually, if you actually spend the time to weigh and measure or calculate how much protein you're getting versus how much fat you're getting, it, it, it's alarming. Like mm-hmm. I remember having days where I would get 300 grams of protein, which is well above what I need. And my fat would be super, super low. And those are the days where you start feeling like, pretty bad you mm-hmm. know it, it's not a good way to be so I, mer- a- I know there's this one dude on the internet who he does carnivore and he like literally eats sticks of butter you know he'll just take a bite out of a stick of butter as part of his videos and it's like <laughs> I, okay i guess shock value yeah. yeah but you really you have to do if you're going to make eggs you have to use a lot of butter to mm-hmm. cook with them even if you get just the lean ground beef i think it's only 90 or something 85 percent mm-hmm. And if you want to be more like 75 or 80% and then the rest fat, you might have to add beef tallow to that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is often when you cook, people will drain the fat, right? No, no, so it's no, like, no. you can't do that. You have to like, you have to eat it. You know, yeah. you can't just cook with it. It's got to be in your belly. Mm-hmm. Some will only eat the egg yolks and get rid of the whites. Yeah. And that's a common thing or give the whites to the dogs, <laughs> you know, which is again, just hilarious that it's just so opposite to be like, don't eat an egg yolk, yeah. you know, whites only. And I believe in my nutrition one-on-one course that hopefully everybody's had a chance to do by now. Egg whites is one of my crimes against nutrition Yeah, getting rid of yolks. Yeah. So yeah, if anything, extra egg yolks, ditch yeah. the whites. Extra egg yolks. You can add beef tallow, get the fattier cuts of meat, like fattier types of cheeses, right? Mm-hmm. If you really need to, you can do milk products, I suppose, mm-hmm. but you need the like, full fat. I've always been a black coffee person, but I've recently started adding some whipping cream to it. Mm-hmm. Like and it's great. Six percent. <laughs> yeah, so it's good. I don't add a ton, but I've seen people before add a lot. It's mm-hmm. like half whipping cream and half coffee, which would be too weak for me. But when I'm traveling, I've I've stopped traveling with my bulletproof stuff just to be less of a handful. But now I just do an aggressive amount of whipping cream in my coffee, but like a quarter of a cup. Mm-hmm. Like it's hundreds of calories of fat just alone for that first bit of the day. Yeah, because I'm not trying to lose weight. Yeah. So yeah, I need to keep enough fat calories coming in. Humans, there is an upper limit to the amount of protein that we can deal with and metabolize. You can't store amino acids, so they have to be either put into tissues or they have to be deaminated and sent through the urea cycle and and out the kidneys. If you exceed that capacity, it can cause buildup of ammonia and other toxic byproducts and stuff. So there's a condition that they used to see in as explorers were heading west across North America, they would call it rabbit starvation, where they would hunt rabbits that are super lean and they would eat, you know, just the protein and not enough fat. And then they would end up with, it's almost like a muscle wasting disease that happens from not eating enough fat. So unlike cats and dogs and things that can survive on lean protein, yeah. we cannot. So you have to, protein is great up to, I always say people should aim for about a gram per pound of ideal body weight. So ideal body weight, that's that. Yeah, not, depending what that is. What's your ideal body if you weight? You weigh 300, you don't need 300 grams of protein. Yeah. And so when people are getting like two grams per pound of yeah. body weight, like that's too much. You don't need that much protein. Yeah. There's an upper limit for sure. You need to be replacing that with fat. Yeah. And then I think speaking of the fat, sometimes people go, oh, great. I'm just going to live on bacon. Yeah. Or like fatty chicken and bacon. So not ruminant animals, those are monogastrics. The fat of those animals, depending on how they're produced, can vary tremendously, as does the fat of humans, (laughs) depending what we eat. So if 
Pork and chicken is produced commercially, i.e. fed lots of corn and soy and grains and stuff. Their fat can have as much omega-6, that linoleic acid, as like canola oil. So it can become almost like a seed oil. And that's not their fault. That's not how they are naturally. It's just as a product of us feeding them garbage. So I would say caution, not stop sign, (laughs) but caution sign, depending on where you're sourcing that stuff from. My, I love Farm 140. Arlie out there does a great job. They do all the rotational grazing and managed ecosystem farming. And if you can get your pork or chicken from them, it would almost certainly have a better fatty acid profile than just, you know, maple leaf, whatever you buy in the grocery store. So the other thing is wild animals, which everybody, everybody, I think agrees that like eating wild animals is, is better than especially factory farm Mm -hmm. cattle. And it is for sure, but they tend to be leaner. Yeah. So you just, you have to be careful that you're again, getting fat. Yeah. You you have to have some level of fat. Yeah. Wild game is awesome. If you hunt or you know someone that hunts and you're lucky enough to get deer, elk or moose or whatever it is. Great, great stuff. But yeah, you just have to make sure you get enough fat in there. If you're not cracking open the skull and eating the brains and sucking out the bone marrow, (laughs) you know, you got to add in enough fat. And then I think another one is salt. Yeah. And especially if your transition to carnivore is coming off a high carbohydrate and probably processed food diet, Causes a big shift in insulin. Insulin goes way down, which is good. That's why it is so effective at treating diabetes, type 2 diabetes. But insulin signals the kidneys to retain sodium, which is why diabetes and hypertension go together. But when insulin all of a sudden drops down, it causes your kidneys to excessively secrete sodium for a while, especially in that first transition. People refer to that as like the keto flu when you go from a carbohydrate-based diet to a fat-based diet. So you need to aggressively, aggressively salt your food. Like grams of salt like a day. Like grams of salt a day. Yep. And people are like, I put salt on my food. You don't even understand. Yep. Like for, you probably need five grams, 5,000 milligrams of sodium a day. Yeah. If you, and I've seen people that do this and I think it's actually a cool idea. They have a little container that measures out the right amount of salt that they need to eat every day. And they use that container to salt their food every day. Right. And it's, it's an aggressive amount. The other thing is things like elements, that's, yeah. a, that's a gram of, so that's a thousand milligrams of sodium. I do salt tabs. I take two grams of salt before I work out, yep. use it as the ultimate pre-workout that will generally deal with all of the issues that yeah. people have feeling headachey, muscle crampy, maybe a little bit nauseous, all that kind of stuff that goes along with feeling a bit like shit when you get off of processed food. If you like aggressively supplement salt, most of that stuff will go away. Yep. The other pitfall is it is tough. It's yeah. not an easy thing to switch to, you know, yeah. you, if you're eating the right way, you absolutely feel satiated. Mm-hmm. But if you're addicted to carbs, you're, you're still going to miss those foods, mm-hmm. right? Or even if you're not, you might have, I love ice cream, you know, mm-hmm. and it's hard to be like, okay, I'm not going to do that for four weeks or six weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can just instantly switch over and feel great. You're going to have some desires and you're going to want to drop off, but the longer you do it, the easier it starts to get. When we switched, when we did the 75-day challenge with no alcohol and no whatever, mm-hmm. like for me, like I'm not a big drinker, but there was like weeks where I was like, man, I would kill for a beer right now. Like I, I was totally craving it, even though I'm not a big drinker. Mm-hmm. But it got to the point where I didn't even care anymore. I was just like, it's whatever. Yeah. You know, no yep. big deal. You get over the hump and then it's fine. Yeah. So you have to be patient and you have to expect it to be hard, but like we do hard things, you know, that's the point, yeah. right? It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be challenging and it's going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. I think I found, like I said, overall, when I did carnivore, it's probably the best I've ever felt. 
my biggest complaints were maybe like, it's a bit boring. Yeah. It's pretty, I found it pretty easy to do. I like all those foods. I felt good. I felt satiated. I found I wasn't craving like processed foods, but I was craving textures. I missed crunchy things, oh, yeah. which was kind of funny. So, and I don't have a good explanation for why humans love the novelty of crunchy stuff so much. Mm-hmm. So like a good crunchy carrot or a piece of celery or macadamia nuts or just, you know, things that had a little different texture to them. I was yeah. craving a texture thing more than anything. But I think, like I said, I think everyone should try carnivore for some period of time. Yeah. I think if it works for you to manage disease conditions and maybe you have to stay on it forever and you do that instead of being on medications, amazing. Yeah. Keep doing it. And then I think what works for me is just revisiting it annually as a seasonal thing. Yeah. So in the fall, once we get past the delicious berries and vegetables season, I'm going to go back to carnivore because I know I feel great, but I also have no expectations that when I do it, that I'm planning to stay on it forever. Right. But other people, you know, you mentioned Michaela Peterson, she's tried expanding the horizons of what she can eat and her autoimmune condition goes, nope. Yeah. And so she just, that's how she feels good. Yeah. My mom had a really severe case of colitis quite a number of years ago now. Went to the gastroenterologist, followed their standard of care, which was <laughs> Metamucil of all things. Scratchy fiber supplement with aspartame for a person with a gut condition. <laughs> she did that for two and a half years, obviously didn't make anything better. And the only other option they had was like steroid medication, like prednisone and stuff, which comes with a laundry list of side effects. Yeah. So, and I was like, mom, there's got, there's has to be something you can do on your own here. We just started cowboying it and trying things, tried a few, you know, CBD oil, didn't do anything. Curcumin didn't do anything. We're like, Hey, how about just try this carnivore diet thing? People seem to say it works well for gut issues. It's super strict for, I think like 42 days, six weeks or something. And almost total remission of symptoms. She was like, amazing. After years of struggling with it. Yeah. Started to add back in little things like how about eggs? And then even some plant foods, how about avocado? And kind of figured out. And then she would, you know, kind of hit the guardrails and try something and go, ooh, nope, the guts don't love that one. So she's still fairly restricted in what she can eat, and, but she just knows she'll be in social situations and just be like, nah, I can't eat that because yeah. it's, it's just not worth being double over in pain and feeling like garbage for days afterwards yeah. if you learn to just turn down a birthday cake or just not do it because you see that you've learned the cause and effect. So. Yeah. And I think that it's like, it's like having an allergy to something, right? Like you might have a lactose allergy and it's like, well, I can eat it, but if I do, I get really gassy and bloated. Mm-hmm. So maybe once in a while that's worth it for you and, and you decide to do it. it. You could have some kind of shellfish allergy and if you eat it, your throat closes up and you die. Yeah. You're like, eh, that one's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. So I think you can you can experiment enough to figure out like, what are your trigger foods and which ones are worth having once in a while, which ones are eliminating altogether. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully you can kind of figure out a good path moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I love a good self-experiment. Yeah. And I definitely think carnivore is one that people should try yeah. at least once in their life. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I haven't given it a full go yet. And I, I think I will at some point, but I'm one of those people that loses weight too easily. And yeah. I'd probably end up having to do some fruit or something, but yeah. Fruit or honey? We'll see. I mean, I guess we could consider honey to be an animal product. It's made by bees. Yeah. And the vegans avoid it. There you so, go. There you go. <laughs> Basically eat the opposite of the vegans. Ba- I mean, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. If it's off their list, it's probably on I our I only list. wear leather and I only <laughs> eat animals. <laughs> Start coaching in a leather jacket. <laughs> leather pants. <laughs> oh. Ugh, that would be the worst. Okay. So if you guys have questions or further things you want to clarify or you want to join us in giving carnivore a whirl this fall... But yeah, hit us up. Let me know. Yeah. Here for you. 
All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. See you in the next one.